Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. We want to help keep things straight, help things stay in truth. Amen. And so I want to talk to you about being chosen today. Amen. In John chapter 6, verse 44, it says this, No one can come to me unless the Father has sent, who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one. Say no one. Say no one. So that means your witnessing can't do it. Your admonishing, no matter how much, how passionate you are, and saying, if you died today, where will you go? All right, let me go over here. Your Romans road to salvation does not guarantee salvation. There's a lot of witnessing happening without the leading of the Holy Ghost. And a lot of the witnessing that are happening, the disciple themselves needs to learn, am I watering, am I planting? Because not every time is harvest. Yet we will talk to people if we don't watch out about trying to be born again in such a way as if this is the only opportunity. Which means if we were true disciples and more connected to the spirit, then we would know how to discern our conversation because no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So unless the Holy Spirit is involved in the process of this conversation concerning Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, you can talk till you are Red in the face and veins are popping out and you're doing everything you can to convince them not to be eternally separated from God and go to hell does not guarantee they'll come to the kingdom until the kingdom of God itself, himself, the spirit of God reveal it. It's still going to be blind to them. So we need to learn how to discern. That when we're giving this message, when we're talking to people, I'm just planning. It's obvious they're not ready to be harvested. But the seed is there nonetheless. Or I see that they've heard this before, and I'm just reiterating things that they are accustomed to. I'm watering today, but I can tell they're not wanting to come in. So there's no reason for me to give them pressure. You understand, people are not born again because they're scared. We scare the hell out of them. In fact, the Bible says it's the love of God that draws men to repentance, not the fear of going to hell. I would submit to you if people are confessing Jesus is Lord because of the fear of going to hell, he may not actually be Lord. In fact, I could almost submit to you that it could be that we get an Esau conversation instead of a true repentance conversation. What do I mean by Esau? Esau was really sorry that he wasn't getting the blessing. And he was crying out to the father to give it to him. But yet there was no repentance a part of his life. And there are many people that are sorry that they are getting caught 
for their rebellion and wrongdoing. And when they realize I will be eternally thrown into the prison system of the kingdom, I don't want that. What can I do to get out? Well, you must believe that Jesus died. I'll take that. And it's not because they want Jesus to be what's required to be born again. They just want to be saved from going to hell. And being saved from going to hell does not bring a new birth experience. I'm going to say that again. And being, being saved from going to hell eternity for eternity is not a new birth experience. Not according to scripture. So John chapter 12, verse 31 and 32 says this. says, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So the word and the spirit have to function together in order to, all three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they function together that begins to draw people until the light comes on, until revelation, until God himself makes it known in that moment, in that conversation, that this is truth, that you need to receive, and they, he knows that they know. Until that moment, then we're still planting, we're still watering. We're still planting, we're still watering. And there are many times during the watering process that they have a revelation, it's true, but yet they're not ready to yield. They have too many mental things going on. This is why the Bible says that the Lord of the harvest, he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Man, if we could get this right in the church. So much anxiousness that happens in the church concerning the lost that the Father clearly through Jesus tells us, you don't have to be anxious about this. Just do what I say when I say. Because he's the Lord of the harvest. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Now, a laborer is one who's on assignment from the owner of the field. And how is it? Again, we have an agricultural society uh, in our county. How is it that those farmers in Hastings know when it's time to pick those potatoes? How do they know that? How do they know when it's time to harvest those collard greens or those watermelons or those cantaloupes? I mean, they are trained to know. How come a farmer can walk out in the field and say, okay, we'll get this next week? Well, it looks like it's ready this week. Do you understand if you pull the fruit off the vine before it's fruitful or it's truly harvest time, then it's no good. And you know how many people are running into supermarkets, running into gas stations, running into places of business and trying to pull the harvest of salvation uh, from a person's life. And yet it's not the fruit is not really ready to be picked. And then that person, when they basically pray to get you off of their back, they are the, the, the sourest, the most prune believer on the face of the planet. You get around them, and every time you taste them, they taste like they're bitter, they're upset. I mean, my gosh, you have God in you. You're born again, and yet you're acting like nothing's changed. Could we have given them a false sense of security? Because we're not leaning to the Lord of the harvest. Are you hearing me? But what's important about this is that God drew them. 
What I want to key in is on both of these times, God is doing the drawing. God is the one who says, this door is open. Now, listen, I understand. Today is the day of salvation. I get that. I understand that. But you understand there's 7.9 billion people on the planet. And there are of those 7.9 billion people, other than the ones that have already confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, which is very minimal. Very minimal. Still a minority. Are you hearing me? That there are those that God has spoken to that they are absolutely in the watering stage. They know they need to give their lives to the Lord, but they've yet to do it. They've yet to do it. And God is patient. The Bible says he's patient. He's patient. Like a farmer, what are they? They're patient. Because he's like, I'm, uh, the fruit's coming. The fruit's coming. We're going to be at a heart. We're going to get them in. 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 And we need to be patient as well. And then realize this. We're not the only laborer out there. When you have done a portion of watering and they're no longer wanting to receive your water, just let it go and let some other laborer come by. Because you don't want to damage what God is trying to do. But he's the one drawing. Look what it says in John chapter 15, verse 16 to 19. He says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus did not accept you. You have to accept him. There's a difference between being accepted and choosing. When God chooses you, he's making a choice to give you an opportunity. He's definitely not accepting you as you are. He's giving you the choice to come through the blood and be changed. This is important because a lot of times we're saying God loves you just the way you are. God loves and love died and love rose and love made a way for you not to be like you are anymore. And so he chooses to let you know you don't have to be like you are anymore. You can't change it. But if you'll come through me and let the blood wash you, then you'll be different when you get on the other side. Can I get an amen? So God did not, you did not choose God. For the Bible says no man comes after God, no, not one. So it's important. When the Lord begins to draw a person, you should begin to say, wait a minute. He's talking to me and I can't get, any, can't get in any other way. If he wasn't talking, I couldn't come. I might need to listen because he's starting to call my name. These appointments of time, when God begins to speak forth your name, when he begins to herald from the the, the corridors of the kingdom of light down into the depths of darkness and begin just like he did with Lazarus, telling you to come forth, to get you up out of the grave. You need to answer that call because you can't choose him. He's choosing you. And then when he begins to choose you, you need to accept his calling. You did not choose me, he said, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you, that you what? 
Not a suggestion. Amen. This is not a personal relationship. When God chooses you, he doesn't choose you to have a personal relationship with you. He chooses you to come to a family. That then he commands you to love one another. Oh, okay, I'll go over here and preach. I think this side's a little more excited. He, he's not calling you to a life of isolation with him alone. He's calling you to a family life. He's calling you into something bigger than yourself. He's calling you into something that requires you to give yourself to others because that's what he did. God is not a God of isolation. God is not a God that maintained uh, solace. He didn't in his, in his infinite of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit say, I'm good enough. No, because of love, he said, my gosh, I must create. I must share. I must expand myself to other things of creation. I must create. I'm a giver. I can't help it. That's my nature. So when you get in his kingdom, it ain't you and God, and that's it. He's calling you in to a larger family where the gifts within you can be, can be utilized and deployed among the family and in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. He said, listen, this I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Man, if you're getting a lot of accolades from the world, you might want to re-examine your relationship with the Lord. If you were of this world, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of this world, but I what? Chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. A lot of... um, A lot of times in the realm of Christianity and witnessing, we like to take the humanity life of Jesus and try to make him like the world as if God was trying to be like us. But the Lord was not trying to be like us. He just came in the form of a man. He can identify with us because he was in that form. But never once was he trying to live like us. He actually lived like the father wanted him. In fact, he became the example of how he wants us to live like him. So he did not come down to identify with humanity. He came down because he had the legal responsibility to take back what Adam lost and only a man could do that. I'll get to that in a minute. And so Jesus came down in the form of what could legally bring back to the earth that which Adam actually lost. That which causes us to be lost in the first place. Are you hearing me? And because of that, the world will hate you because the world is under the sway of a different ruler, of a different father. Jesus himself acknowledged there was another dad other than him. And they were to religious people. He said, you are of your father, the devil. The devil. Now, you understand, all of us, we like to act like everybody on the planet is is God's loving people. When everyone is not God's loving people. Now, man was originally created in the image of God. And we, in seeing human life, is to see them with their potential. And that is they can be back 
in the original design God wanted for them. But Jesus himself knows you're not living like my father. He said, man, if you were living and loved my father, you would love me and you wouldn't be trying to kill me. Amen. But you are of your father, the devil. He is a liar and the father of lies. But I'm not of the devil anymore. Aren't you glad you've been transferred? Aren't you glad you've come into the kingdom of God? Aren't you glad you're reunited with your heavenly father? Amen. So again, when Jesus said, I, I didn't choose, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. He said, I chose you out of this world. Meaning I'm not asking you to look like the world. I'm asking you to come out of the world and the way it functions, even though you're in it. When they saw Jesus, they're like, who is this guy? He doesn't function like everyone else. He doesn't act like anyone else. He doesn't behave like anyone else. He doesn't talk like anyone else. In fact, when he preaches, he doesn't preach. He's using the same scripture I heard the Pharisees say in the synagogue last week. But this guy preaches with authority and he causes things to come to pass. Jesus did not identify with them by living their same example, boozing it up with the sinners. Cussing it up with the sinners, joking it up with the sinners. No, he lived a holy life, separated, consecrated unto God, that they're like, who is this guy? And the Lord's like, I chose you to come out of that. Are you hearing me? Now, when he says, I didn't choose you, but chose, uh, I chose, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. He said, I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. This is awesome. So what is he calling to himself? Well, you just have to jump up in this verse, this chapter, back to verse 7. Verse 7 says it this way. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandment and abide in his love. Now we need to break this down a little bit because there's a lot of insight here that will change our thinking. Matthew 15, 3, I quote this often. Jesus says to religious people, why do you forsake the commandments of God for the sake of your traditions? There's a lot of tradition being taught, even in the church today, especially among denominations, because, you know, they have heard things one way without actually examining. The reason why Martin Luther put 95 Thesis on a door one day and the Protestant Reformation took place is because he started to search the scripture for himself and began to realize, huh, there's some additional things here. Now, he didn't put that on the door without going to the authorities of the church and say, what about this? The problem was the authorities of the church at the time chose to stay with their tradition than to say, man, now we need to look at this. I find it interesting that it's very difficult for believers to get around together and actually discuss scripture. I have found that many do not, number one, because of their ignorance. Number two, they don't want to look ignorant. 
So in turn, they'll just leave the subject alone. But I am empowered by questions. Because this, I'm never intimidated with someone's thought. Because if I cannot line it up with scripture, I'll just cast that down anyway. I won't let a tradition stay in my mind, even if most of the church is saying it. Because it is the church that sometimes gets things off. When I say the church, I'm saying those that start staying in tradition, not the one Jesus is building. Can I say that? Let me just step back. Because the last thing that I want to give the appearance is that the church is not doing its job. The church that Jesus is building is alive and well and it's functioning with great authority and it's in the planet today. There are just a lot of people assembling that aren't actually in the church he's building. And there's a difference. Because if you're in the church he's building, then the pastor is empowering you to think for yourself and to hear the Holy Ghost for yourself. And at the end of the day, when we come around any passage of scripture, we're going to have to come to the same conclusion because there is the truth, not your truth and my truth. There's his truth. And not many are willing to go long enough to determine his truth because we don't want to look like we were wrong. I don't mind being wrong if I'm wrong. And I'm like, man, that's good. This is why I'm always drawing on people around me who are in the word, speaking the word, and begin to say, Pastor, what do you think about it? That's a good point. Let me look at that. Let me examine that. I don't act like I know all the answers, but I know who does. The Holy Ghost and in his word. And if I'll seek it, I'll find. And you won't come to a different conclusion. We'll have to arrive to the same conclusion. Are you hearing me? So let's go back to this passage because I want you to see a couple of things here that are really important. He said, now, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done. My father is glorified by this. By what? That his words abide in you. Because he goes on and says, and that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. How do you prove that you're a disciple of God? Is that you abide in his word and it produces in your life. He says, just as the father has loved me, I also loved you. Now abide, that means remain in my love. How do we do this? Verse 10, if conditional statement, which means if you're not meeting the condition, you'll be out. Now, I'm not talking about loss of salvation. I'm just saying you're not abiding in love. If you keep my, come on, say it out loud, commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have what? Kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. How did Jesus abide in the Father's love? Not because he was born of the Father. The fact that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit when he came upon Mary the Virgin was not proof of his love for the Father. You don't want to hear this. Wow. Oh, my, my, my. Just because Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, Jesus doesn't say, don't you know the Father loves me? I'm his son. Yeah. 
I am born of God. What qualified the love of the Father with the Son? He kept my word. He kept my word. Oh, you want me to prove it to you? Okay, no problem. I didn't think I'd get this much resistant right now, and I ain't even got to the meat of the matter, but that's okay. It must be what's happening on YouTube when we release it. Okay. Jesus looks at John the Baptist. He says, John, you need to baptize me. He said, you are the lamb that has come to take away the sins of the world. I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. You are going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. I just do water for repentance. He said, you should baptize me. What did Jesus say? Permit it at this time so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. Meaning, righteousness is not a religious word. It means right standing with the governing authority. It's God's way of doing something. The Father has told me to do this. In essence, he said, I'm being obedient to dad. Dad told me to come and have you baptize me. Once he was baptized in the Jordan, it came up, the heavens opened. And the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus without measure. Then the voice from heaven, which was the father, says, this is my beloved son in whom I am. Not because he was born of a virgin, but because he's kept my word He's kept my word. He's kept it. Jesus says, now listen, if you're going to abide in my love like I abided in my father, you're going to have to keep the word that I'm saying. So what he's saying is, I've chosen you to bear fruit. What? I've chosen you. Notice what it doesn't say. My father is glorified by this, that you're born again. Boy, I've meddled with religion all the time. We have put way too much emphasis on an entrance. Way too much emphasis on an entrance. Right now, Chelsea and Kirk have a child. She has come. I have seen her face. Chelsea and Kirk can pack their bags. With John and Marie's, their grandparents, the grandparents, and they can come home. They'll show up here, and we'll be like, hey, Chelsea Kirk, let's see the baby. Oh, man, we gave birth to a beautiful baby. She's whatever it was, so many ounces, so long. Hey, let's see her. Oh, we don't have her. What do you mean you don't have her? Oh, we left her at the hospital. (laughs) What? Yeah, all we did was give birth. She's born. I mean, we labored nine months. We got her here. She's here. Okay, so who's taking care? Oh, she's, she's a child. She's, everything within her is enough. Let God handle that. What do you mean let God handle? He gave her to you. Well, we don't want to hear this. Because what we do is we're like trying to get people to be born again. And they're like, good, you're in heaven now. When you die, you go to heaven. I'm going on to the next one. We put so much emphasis, yet the Father didn't put emphasis. 
on the door or the entrance in. In fact, born again doesn't even manifest as a conversation except to a religious guy at about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And the reason born again was even mentioned is because it was about going somewhere. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom. And we've turned the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and what we call salvation into a confessing Jesus as our Savior come into our heart and save us. So that when we die, we go to heaven so that we can just be born again. And yet Jesus is not emphasizing born again. He's emphasizing the kingdom. Publicly, he preaches everywhere for the kingdom of heaven is like this and the kingdom of God is like that. He never once publicly said you must be born again. But yet many places, all they preach is you must be born again. You must be born again. Now, do you need to be born again? Yes. Because it's the way in. But it's to something. It's not the end. It's not the conclusion. It's not the finality. It's not where we stop. Will we rejoice? Yes. Will all of heaven? Yes. But heaven won't continue that praise if you don't become a disciple. You want to prove that the Father loves you? And that you love the Father and Jesus? You're going to have to become a disciple. And a disciple is one who keeps the word. And the gospel that we carry is not a destination gospel. It's a destiny gospel. I said it's a destiny gospel. So how is it that we must be? Get into this kingdom. Well, Philippians 2.11 said this, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is. This word is the most underutilized uh, word. It is skimmed over. It is looked at um, with no value at all. It doesn't have the true meaning that the scripture has it as. We have turned it into uh, uh, something just like when I'm in um, uh, Latin American countries. This word, Lord, that, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The word Lord in Spanish can be translated Señor, Señor. But the problem with Señor is it's the same as Mr. So you could look at me and call me, you know, Mr. Earl, which they won't say Earl because, you know, Spanish people have a hard time saying Earl. They'd rather say glisten, <laughs> right? Señor, glisten, Señor. Senor, which is Mr. Mr. Glisten, Mr. Glisten. And you understand when I preach in those countries, I always add, when I say, you must make Jesus Lord, they'll say, Jesus Cristo es Senor. And I'm going, no, dueño. Now, dueño means master. That's different. Because not everybody's master. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because this word Lord is very important because if it's not for this word Lord, we can't even be saved. 
Let's turn over to Romans chapter 9. Since we go there, chapter 10, and most people use the Romans road to salvation, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as not Savior, not Savior, is Jesus a Savior? Yes. Has he saved everyone? Yes, meaning he's made provision for all to be saved. Let's put it that way. Let me say it this way. Has Jesus saved everyone? Not everyone saved. He has made provision so that all can be saved. There's a difference. The Lord saved us all. Not everyone saved. The Lord has made provision for all to be saved. But salvation is not the goal. Salvation is what gives the ability to get into the kingdom. Because in order to get into the kingdom, you must, have, must identify Jesus as someone. As. Jesus as. Oh, great. I guess everybody's asleep today. I'm sure preaching way more passionate than you're hearing. I can tell you that. And why is this? Because we don't value our salvation. We don't value it. I mean, some of us have been in Christ for so long, we forgot what it even means to be in Christ. We take it so flippantly. He's Lord. I said, he's Lord. I said, he's Lord. I mean, when he walks in the room, we bow down on our knees. We get on our face. We're like, my gosh, glory showed up. Yet we don't treat it like that in this church because we don't even act like he's here. Yet the minute we open scripture, it is Jesus himself. He is the word. Are we bowing to it? And are we submitted to it? No, it's just casual. But that's my homeboy, Jesus. He saved me so I had to go to hell. Jesus is not your homeboy. He's not your buddy. He's not your pal. He's Lord. I said he's Lord. I said he's Lord. He's to be honored. He's to be respected. He's to be in awe I'm concerned that many who have called Jesus Lord isn't, he's really not. And we'll get to that next week. We're not going to be able to preach that today. But if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, this word Lord means supreme in authority. It is not a religious word. It is not a religious word. It means master. It means owner of property. And you know what? This is hard in the U.S., Because you know what? You don't own me. You better hope God owns you. You better testify he owns you. You better yield and yell it from the rooftop. I'm owned by someone else. They own me. They own me. They have the right to tell me anything because I'll do exactly what they say whenever they say it because life comes out of that mouth. They are life. Where am I going to go without him? It's in him we move and breathe and have our being. But when he's just your buddy, he's optional. When he's just the one who saved you from going to hell. Kudos. Thanks, Jesus. Loved it. Thanks for saving me. Thanks I'm not going to hell. It's just cool. But he's the king. I said he's the king. See, we love Savior Jesus. Well, nobody wants to go to hell for their wrongdoing. But Lord's a whole nother ball game. And Jesus says, acknowledging me as your savior will get you in. Doesn't say that. He said, listen, I've saved you. I can get you in. But it costs you. 
See, now that's a problem. Because in today's church, and most believers today, they act like it don't cost you nothing. And it's just not true. It's really a lie from the pit of hell. Anyone that is truly actively involved with the Lord knows it did cost me something. Now, it's not a work that you impress God. It's not what we're saying. So go ahead and get that out your mind. But you know what it did cost me? It cost me my will. It cost me my flesh. I crucified daily at the expense of my Lord. I chose to no longer do it my way, and I habitually do it his way. That's what it cost me. Every day, it costs me to be able to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, it gave me, the ultimate cost is I in turn laid my life down to take up the one he was going to give me. Jesus laid his life down as the ultimate sacrifice so that his blood, which ran so pure, had the capacity to forgive me of all my wrongdoing. But the day that I said, Jesus, you are Lord, I said, I'll equally lay my life down, although it has no value. None at all, according to you, but I'll lay it down to take up the life you'll freely give me by acknowledging you are the Lord of my life. I am in continual um, submission to your authority. Whatever you say, I say, yes, Lord. Now that believer walks different. That believer gets crowned. That believer gets raised up and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That believer begins to conquer because you only conquer what God has conquered. You only do what God says to do. You begin to live like Jesus did. I only do what the Father says. You say, I only do what Jesus says. Well, man, don't you have a mind on your own? I got rid of that. It was destructive. Well, man, you're so narrow-minded. Thank God I am, because wide is the gate that leads to death and destruction. You might want to close yours down a little bit. Because you keep opening it up and let death come in. Let cancer come in. Let all kinds of sickness and disease, let demons come in. But I keep mine focused. I keep it narrow. I keep it just at the word. I keep it to the source of life. My God made it easy for me to get rid of all the clutter of life and say, just believe me at my word. I mean, this is such an easy thing. And yet we've made it complicated. Why? Because we don't want to offend nobody. Well, the word offends. Because the Lord is not taking anything you got to offer. Ain't taking any of it. He said, just lay it all down at the cross and I'll resurrect somebody new. Can I get an amen? It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So salvation comes as a result of lordship. Not as a result of acknowledging Jesus as Savior. Because he's Lord. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the will be. Salvation does not come any other way. Church attendance doesn't make you right with God. 
Being good to people don't make you right with God. Paying people's bills don't make you right with God. Because again, if you're determining what's good, then you're a God to yourself. If you're judging the situation without God, you're a God to yourself. But the minute you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this situation? What do you want me to do in this circumstance? Now you have the mind of Christ and you can begin to function and operate as God always intended you to operate. Because you must name him Lord. This word here, when we talk about Lord, it means to make a covenant with your mouth that Jesus is supreme in authority. And since Jesus is the word, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh, John 1.14 says. We could say it this way, that if we make a covenant with our mouth, that the word is supreme in authority. And that is not a one-time event. That's my whole life. The word is supreme in authority. The word. I know a believer is starting to move towards maturity in discipleship. When, they, when asked a question, they would say, well, what does the word say? Anytime you get cornered in society... Well, where are you at on same-sex marriage? Well, what does the word say? What does the word say? Well, what do you think should happen, you know, if your boss done you wrong? Well, what does the word say? What do you think about giving to the church? Well, what does the word say? What do you think we should do with our child who's been acting like this? Well, what does the word say? Because I've done a lot of things that my feelings and my mind would not have done. But I do the word. And it brings life. It opens up life. It gives the opportunity of life and gives the opportunity for repentance. Even if those that hear it don't receive it. Because if they don't receive it, they're really not rejecting me, but they're rejecting the Lord. And nothing personal about it. But we're in a society that we want to go to heaven and be liked. We want the world to love us as we go to heaven. But the Bible says the world hates you. So to avoid hatred, we get along with the world and then say, well, you know, I'm saved. But Jesus becomes the option of when to follow and how to follow. That's not lordship. See, in the kingdom, there's a lordship principle because all kings are personally legal owners of property, territory, or their domain. Another word for owner is Lord. And we don't hear this word a whole lot in our nation because you understand, um, you know, we are independent. We have a different kind of government. You don't hear of these types of terms much anymore. But the reality is, you would understand this if you were renting because you have a land lord. Which means they own the property that you are in. And you can function in that property based upon the agreement set forth in the terms of the rental agreement. If the owner allows you to paint the inside of the property, you can paint the inside of the property. But if they will not let you, if you paint it, you are unauthorized. It could be grounds for eviction. Are you hearing me? But you understand, we are owners. But the reality is we're really not owners unless we hold title deed. 
Because even if you're paying for your house as an owner through a mortgage, the bank actually owns your property. And if you took the time to actually read all those documents that you signed word for word, then you realize there are conditions that are set forth by the one holding the mortgage that if you violate some things, they can, re they can take access to the property. Just go ahead and tell them you own it and quit paying. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Now, if you own the land and the house, you have title deed. Do you actually own it? You only own the land up to your taxes. Okay. Hallelujah. Because at the end of the day, the government still has a right to what you possess. Okay, nobody. It's fine. Ain't no government going on me. You better hope the kingdom owns you. I'm just saying in the natural, you're not free of world governments. You never want to be free of God's government. So go ahead and not pay your taxes on the land you own and have title deed because they'll take possession of it. Then if the city or the county proves it's necessary to put a highway through the land that you pay taxes, they'll take this thing called eminent domain. Eminent domain. Where they'll say, you know, I know it's yours and you own it, but for the better of the society, you don't want to hear this. <laughs> We're going to pay you a portion Fair market value. <laughs> and we're taking the land. I don't care if it's been in your family for 100 years. I know when I was traveling through Gainesville, Latchua County, there was a particular farmer that owned a piece of property, and I-75 went right through the middle of it, which means they own cattle over here and over here. And the, the, um, the state did not see fit to build a little walkway for his cattle to be able to cross. And we go through their property every day now. Well, not us, because we don't live over there. But back in the day when I lived over there, I went through their property every day. Why? Because the state took access. Because it was better for the state. It's better for the nation that we cut right through here. Are you hearing me? Jesus is owner. Lord means supreme in authority. It means controller. Go ahead and look at me and say, God, control me, please. Now, here's the thing. He can't control you. You have to yield control. So when you sing, Jesus, take the will, <laughs> why were you driving in the first place? Right? In one sense. Now, I don't mind you driving if you're taking instructions from Jesus, the GPS system. Where do you want me to turn? Because I have no idea where I'm going. Are you hearing me? Amen. We do participate, but he wants to be able to dictate because he knows you better than you do. Lord means he to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has power of deciding. You've got to be, you're not in the U.S. the minute you get over into the kingdom, right. although you live in it. Yeah. You've got to say, what do you, what do you decide? Yeah. 
How do you want me to handle this? What do you want to do? Now, it'd be different if this was actually a foreign concept to all of us and that we didn't do it all the time. Because many in this room go to work and you have a manager or someone over you and you say, what do you want us to do? And you do it. You definitely do it if you like them. If you don't like them, you still do it because you love your job more than you do them. Even though you'll walk away from them and talk bad about them and their decision. But you won't leave because of the money. Which means you serve money more than it all. Because the money keeps calling you out of bed. Okay. Don't want to meddle in your lordship. Jesus said, there's only two gods out there on the planet. I am God. And then there's another one that people allow to make decisions in their heart. Who govern their lives. That they determine whether they can do something. They consult their bank account. Can I go on vacation? Can I buy that present? Can I go on that mission trip? Oh, pastor, I'd love to go on that mission trip with you, but I can't afford it. So you let your money tell you. You never once ask God, yeah, but I know how much I make. How much does your daddy make? I mean, if he's Lord, can he say, I want you to go? Well, now, Lord, there's nothing in my account to support your words, but at your word. I'll do it. I'm signing up. Well, you need $100 to sign up. Okay. Well, no one's giving me $100. i am putting my own 100 in and believe God for the rest. Some of you haven't gone on mission trips because God wouldn't authorize a person paying for it to do it because you never got past your own wallet. Hallelujah. I have had business people come to me and say, I want to do this. I say, well, if somebody comes along, I'll let you know. Then no one comes along. Why? Because they listen to their wallet instead of the Lord. Because the Lord had already provided they just had to take the step of faith, not knowing where it was going to come from, but just at a word. I said, just at a word. I remember the Lord spoke to me like that one time because he's my Lord. My wife and I were going into our second year of Bible college, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly. <laughs> he says, do not save money for school. Don't do it. You just take care of your wife and three kids. And so all summer, the money went straight to the house, except for what was God's, the tithe and offerings. Other than that, we just try to take care of the house. And it, man, there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, it was just like keeping us in the house. You know, buying the $89 hamburger helper meals. We used to buy these little chicken drumettes, you know, little drumsticks. And we'd tear them things up, man, because you get a bunch of chicken drumsticks for nothing. I mean, we had the cheapest food, processed. I mean, it's probably cardboard box, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, I don't even know if it's real food, but we ate it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, as we got a little closer, we realized there's no money for this. So naturally, you start carrying on conversations. You begin to have your own conversations. Should we both go? Should we just one of us go? Could we maybe just work it out where one could go and the other? You know, because again, you begin, well, we don't know what God is doing totally. He just said, don't save. 
But I'll never forget when we were having that conversation about one of us going, the Holy Ghost reminded me of what Pastor Hagen said. He said, if the Lord called you to start Raymond, then he's called you to finish. And I looked at her and I said, God called us to start. We, gonna start. we started together. We're going to finish together. Yes. Didn't know how that was going to happen. At the end of the day, we're two weeks before school starts for my kids and us. And someone from the state of Florida happened to be in Little Rock, Arkansas, and we were in Oklahoma. They gave us a call and said we were in the neighborhood. Now, Little Rock, Arkansas is not literally in the neighborhood of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's hundreds of miles away, right? But compared to Florida, yes, it was. And so they asked, uh, could they come by and see us? And we said, sure. And in that, the Lord spoke to them to buy our kids clothes for school. Oh, it was awesome. Didn't have to say for that. Because God cares for me. I just need to be in his will. And my Lord, through someone else, bought all my kids school clothes. And then we ate at a restaurant we've not eaten at for over a year. I mean, we had steak that day. It was like the best steak ever on the planet. Not that it really was. <laughs> when you've been eating hamburger helper for so long, you know, beef stroganoff, it was nice. You know, rice and beans. Spaghetti was every week for sure. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> so they bid us farewell and they left. And we were like, praise God. Well, it was enough for us to say God knows about us. We're on his radar. Look what he's done for our kids. And if he'll do this for our kids, then surely he'll do something for us. Amen. About 30 minutes later, the same couple the wife calls and speaks to my wife and says, where are y'all at with your tuition for school? Well, I said, well, we're believing God. And they said, we're going to pay for both of y'all's school this year. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. He's Lord. Now to rewind three years earlier, two years earlier. Two years earlier, the husband slapped me in the face at work one day. He was my superior, and I was talking with people on a pallet about the Lord, and he himself wasn't born again, and it stirred him up. And man, he slapped me in the face in front of everybody. Everybody was shocked. About that time, I had this leather necklace on that he ended up putting up underneath my I was in the military up underneath my shirt and pulled it out and says what is this and I was wearing because it was fascist uh, a fad back then WWJD I said it's WWJD it stands what would Jesus do and he turned the other cheek so here's this one Amen. Now he was shocked by that yes. and stepped away but he paid for my second year and my wife's second year for Raymond. Because Jesus is Lord and I didn't take vengeance. Because I didn't jump up and say, I'm going to bust you down right now. I'm not, you're not going to embarrass me in front of all these people. Because I didn't lift my fist. But because I just took it. Because I had a word from my king. Because I was submitted to God. God used a situation where I controlled my flesh and my will. 
and use that individual to pay for my second year. They showed up here one day, walked into the church, began to cry. Both of them were sick, had symptoms in their body. No healing was happening. I was looking around and was just in awe and tears. The man hugged my wife and hugged me. He said, I'm so proud of y'all and what you've done. I said, you did this. I didn't take him back to the slap. I said, you invested in us. I said, because you, you invested in us, you allowed us to finish the course. God used you to let us finish the course. Brought him up on the front row. And that night, Pastor Hagen preached, and he was doing a kingdom uh, or a, a living faith uh, conference at the time, and he never lays hands on the first night, never does this. He always does it the last night. But he said in the pulpit, I feel that the Lord wants me to lay hands on the sick tonight. Amen. And they were the first two that he laid hands on, and they both received their healing. That Aren't you glad Jesus is Lord? You understand, lordship is not about going to heaven, it's about becoming children of God. It's not a destination, it's a destiny. Jesus came to restore that which Adam lost in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over every living thing that creeps on the earth. God created in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. He created us to have dominion, to have dominion. Adam lost the kingdom, not heaven. Adam did not fall from heaven, so he did not lose heaven. Adam lost the kingdom, and Jesus came to restore the kingdom back to humanity. He came to put man back in his rightful position of dominion and sonship. This is why Luke 3, 38, the latter part says he was... In the genealogy coming from the birth of Jesus back down to creation, that Adam was the son of God. Jesus was coming as the last Adam to restore what the first Adam gave away. For the devil himself in the Luke's uh, account of the temptation of Christ showed him all the kingdoms of a moment of time. And he says, all this domain, all this authority, all this power, all this rulership, all this that you, that you could reign over has been handed to me. I'll give it to you if you'll just bow down and worship me or make me your God, your king. And Jesus said, it is written. He said, it is written. Because he only did the will of the Father. And when Jesus died on the cross and said it was finished and went to the grave and conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he received the keys of the, of, of, the, of the grave itself, and he bust up out of there by the power of the Holy Ghost on the third day, then he poured out his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, and he gave access that those could come back to dominion, back to rulership, back into the kingdom by being born again or born from above. This is not about a one-time salvation experience. It's about becoming a child of the king. It's about destiny. It's about sonship. It's about ruling. That's what the lordship of Jesus Christ is about. Jesus told Pilate in John chapter 18, starting in verse 33, when Pilate is saying, listen. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Uh, your uh, own 
your nation and your chief priests have uh, uh, delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this realm, meaning it doesn't operate like the worldly kingdoms. Because if it did, my servants would not let me be handed over to the Jews, but my kingdom's not of this realm. Pilate says, so you are king. Jesus says, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born, and for this I've come into the world. He came to restore the king kind. Not to save you from planet Earth, but save you for planet Earth. So that you could reign on an earth that God himself will redeem. That God himself will come back to. That God himself will cause the new Jerusalem to come down where he'll be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is why Jesus said again to Nicodemus in John 3, he said, unless a man is what? Born again. He will not see the kingdom of God. So lordship or calling Jesus Lord is not about saving your life. It's about giving you the kingdom life. Sonship, rulership. Born again is access to the dominion God had for you the whole time. That if you'll take the sonship, if you'll take the dominion, if you'll begin to walk in it, then you'll begin to exercise things spoken of you that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You'll begin to rejoice when a trial comes. For Jesus said, in this life you'll have trials and tribulation, but be of good cheer. You'll begin to rejoice because you'll know that my God delivers the righteous out of all their trouble. You'll know that I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. You'll begin to operate in the kingdom principles of health care and provision. You'll begin to walk in the joy of the Lord. You'll begin to eat the fruits of the Spirit. You'll begin to rise above everything. You'll actually rise in life because you're not holding on for a destination. You're like, I'm bringing heaven to earth by praying to my heavenly Father. I'm getting his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth just as it is in heaven because God has saved me for the earth. Save me that I would have dominion here. And while I remain, because there will be a day that you'll be caught up together with him. I'm not saying you won't. But he's coming back. He's not coming back to catch us up and then we just go hang out in clouds. So you're not going to become a fat naked baby angel playing harps. You'll never turn into an angel. There are different species. But after seven years of the great uh, tribulation, and after we've done the marriage supper of the Lamb, the king will return with the saints. We'll come right back to the earth and we'll begin our rulership with him of eternity for a thousand years on a planet that needs us and still has sin in it. And he'll disperse us. In, in continued dominion status. And then ultimately create a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem will come down out of heaven to the earth and we'll rule and reign with him forever. So to be born again means to reign. And ruling starts today. Let's pray.
Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com.